Engineers Talk today with hardware and software integrator Jürgen Saal. Welcome to the Mastering Embedded Systems podcast, episode 25. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Mastering Embedded Systems podcast. I am Georg Lora, and this is the podcast about realizing and managing your projects within the embedded systems realm. I tell you the know-how and teach you the ways to succeed and overcome your daily obstacles and problems in project work. This is the 25th episode of this podcast. This small jubilee perfectly matches with the upcoming Christmas time. I wanted to thank all of you for your support. I love your direct feedback and our discussions. You encourage me a lot. It's a strong confirmation for me to receive your individual statements, whether you agree or disagree. To be honest, failing into discussion with you is my aim. And hereby, you are by far the most important persons for me. This episode will be most likely the last one in this year. Originally, I have planned to have a summary episode between Christmas Eve and New Year. However, preparing this summary will last longer. Additionally, I wanted to take the time between the years to recapitulate the first half of a year as a podcaster. Moreover, I have some plans in mind. How to continue, some ideas, some thoughts, but all of them need to fall in the right places first. And therefore, I will be back at the 5th of January in 2016 with a new episode. But now, what's up today? Integrating hardware with software is an everlasting story when introducing embedded systems. You need to combine a new piece of hardware together with new software. That's the time you need engineers like my today's guest, Jürgen Salm. Jürgen has a proven track of experience as software developer. This already is one of the major benefits you will come into touch with. Till today, he is running his own zoo of Unix and Linux machines at his home place. At work, however, he is engaged as a hardware and software integrator. Jürgen is working for one of the big mobile equipment manufacturers located in Northern Europe. I love the discussion with him, because he is a constant source of ideas about improvement and he has tons of experience you can participate from. As a former software developer, Jürgen is able to provide such feedback the author of the software will understand immediately. Moreover, he does not regularly not only provide feedback about the failure, but also directly points to the failing component. Very often, I have experienced by myself that he's already pointing to the wrong algorithm directly. In our talk, we are highlighting the daily problems when integrating immature hardware with even more immature software. We are discussing the challenges when working together with multi-sided software development teams. And we, of course, come along with the mother of all questions, how to improve collaboration between developers and integrators. As regularly, you will find all further details in the show notes at embeddedsuccess.com slash episode 25. And now, stay tuned and be inspired. Jürgen, to make our audience familiar with the things you're doing, could you please explain what are the difference between a software tester and a software integrator? Well, I'm, I'm not so sure that the term software tester is uh, formally defined, but uh, uh, I would make the difference in uh, between software tester and software integrator and also uh, the difference between software tester and software developer. Um, that a software tester gets a, a unit <clears throat> with a task to test it 
So the, typically, if you if you have a software-only pro, uh, project, you have a set of people who do a, who do the usability analysis and test the GUI and try to uh, try to, to to run the system into strange uh, states by uh, applying input the developer would never have thought about. That's the, the, for me the difference between the tests done by a software developer and the tests done by a dedicated software tester. And the difference between software testing and software integration, or let's, uh, if you go one step further, and especially in the in the direction of, of an embedded system, a um, an, an um, entity integrator. Uh, it's a difference between a, a software integrator would be someone who um, tests so brings two software components together on a pure software level that have never talked to each other before. If you have, uh, if you develop two software components at two different sites, someone has to put them together and test whether they actually work together, whether their interpretation of the interfaces is identical. And in, in, the, in the embedded world, you have uh, then the next step where you have to integrate the software, the developed software components with the actual hardware. Because typically in the embedded world, the, the developer tries to, to build his development environment as convenient as possible. So it's a natural choice for the developer to develop on a PC or on whatever server uh, he, he has accessible. But in a, in a, in a, it's only very seldom the case that in, a, in, a, in an embedded environment, this actual software development is done on the target hardware. Mm. One, one example where it could be possible is, for example, uh, Raspberry Pi. You have a full Linux distribution for the for the Raspi, and you could theoretically do your ho your whole software development uh, on the target system. But even in those cases where you would have network connection, you would have a keyboard, you would have a display and a GUI and everything you need, and an IDE and, and all all the debugging tools. People don't do it because the Raspi is simply too slow. They even though even in, in, in this situation they prefer to do their software development on a host, and typically an Intel PC. In our case here, running Linux, um, with the, with uh, the complete power of, of all the development tools uh, you have at hand: an analysis, uh, code, static code analysis, dynamic analysis, debugging, debugger tools, and so uh, debugging tools, and so on, and. Um, when you go to to, uh, to to the real hardware, that's exactly the, the convenience you're missing. You usually don't have a monitor and you don't have a keyboard and you don't have enough RAM to run everything with debug symbols enabled. Um, you don't have enough uh, uh, storage capacity, persistent storage capacity to store the whole test environment and so on. So this is typically the, the if the developer has a chance to avoid testing on the target. This is this is my experience. He will do it. Okay. And it, it, and it, always, it always depends on the on the abstraction level where the software is, is running. In, 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 in telecommunication, as you know, we subdivide the software into planes. 
we typically have a management plane that, that mm. is is uh, providing the operator and operation control operational control of the system then we have a, a control plane that is responsible for the call signaling and we have a u plane that is uh, responsible for the user plane that is responsible for actually pushing the user data from one yeah. end of the system to the other and each of these planes of course have have different uh, requirements um, on the real-time behavior, on the, uh, on the on the target architecture they are, they are uh, developed for and on. For example, the the U plane, uh, the user plane is typically implemented on uh, the digital signal processors, which run a separate compiler. Mm -hmm. um, where you might have a cross compiler on the host, or you, if you if you if you produce your software on the host, you have a cross compiler, but you usually don't have a test framework on the host that behaves uh, similar to the DSP for mem memory uh, um, protection mechanisms, cache behavior, runtime performance. And uh, um, from what I see, the, the majority of the user plane developers uh, developing the, uh, the DSP code, they have to test on the target, actually. Yeah. And uh, for the control plane, who does a, a, a more abstract jobs like uh, uh, receiving messages, forwarding the messages, in a not so uh, they are not so time constrained. Yeah, they, they, yeah. they have much relaxed real time requirements, so they can afford to test on the on the on the on the on, on the host. We, we call it hostess to te to test on a general purpose hardware that is. Uh, that might be much faster than than the the, the target hardware. So you, you so you distinguish between um, the situation that there is a definite need to test on the bare metal, and on the other side. So, but this is avoided if possible. And on the other side, there is there is no definite need to test on the on the real hardware, and where it is avoided for sure. By the developer. By the developer. Project management, of course, would like to have everything tested on the target okay, yeah. before you integrate it together. Okay. But the reality shows that uh, uh, the developer actually uh, strongly resists uh, testing on the target. The longer they have tested on the host and the more effort they've put into their test environment on the host, uh, the less likely they will go uh, testing on the target just by order of management. But, about, but the, uh, the, the software integrator or the integrator itself, independent whether software or hardware or both, on the embedded system, for example, the integrator will have to do that on the definite target hardware. Yeah, latest uh, when you go, uh, when you do the, and you integrate the software with the hardware, with real okay, hardware, then, yeah. then you are on the target mm -hmm. and then you, you run under all the restrictions the target usually has. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, then. When you start testing all the software with together uh, with all the hardware the first time together and you run into problems, then I'm always asking. Uh, as soon as I know the, the 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 type of the of the misbehavior, I'm always asking myself: Is this something that can or could only be seen mm. when the when all the software meets all the hardware on the real target, or is this something that could have been found earlier? Yeah. 
if the people would have spent the effort uh, of testing their component on the real hardware. So usually when you, in, when you uh, run a host test, uh, when you test your, your software on the host and uh, finally it should run on the target, at some point you have typically if devs in your code that distinguish between host test environment and target environment. And I'm always angry when I know I get code from a system component, as we call it, that does only host testing, that resists, resisted for years to, to do their test on the target, and then the problems occur in exactly this other if-dev path that is only compiled when, it, when compilation is done for the target. And in there, at the very beginning in there, I found code that, is, that was designed to fail. They adapted to a new interface. Ah, this interface now uh, expects a function pointer, uh, a, a data pointer. Then they uh, created a pointer and returned it. Of course, the new pointer was initialized with zero. And the calling, the first thing the calling function did was trying to dereference the pointer. Bing, zigzag, foul, crash. Yes, I see. And, and this is, was not detected before the, t the, the, the code was actually executed on the target because this system component only tested on the host. And they only tested the left half of the code and the right half of the code was in best case compile clean. So, yeah, okay. I, only I, compile clean. Yeah, I can, can, I can imagine, but for, from your experience, to, to make a little bit this kind of experience a little bit deeper for our audience, um, And where are, from your perspective, the main key points when testing and integrating an embedded system? This might be already one of them. So to test on the real hardware that the real code path is gone through. But what are other key points when, you, when it comes to testing and integrating embedded systems? Yeah, due to the nature of the, of the embedded hardware, uh, you are missing... Uh, debug functionalities that you have on, any, on, on every other normal PC. Uh, it, 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 it begins with the startup of the system. If you, uh, if you put your own PC together and you power it on for the first time, and if it doesn't find the video card, it will beep three times. An embedded system usually, or our embedded systems here in telecommunication, they usually, usually don't have a loudspeaker. They are not able to beep if they can't find the bootloader. The next thing that could, could go wrong if your, uh, if your uh, fixed storage, if your hard disk is not detected, a ah, normal PC will show you on the, on the display operating system not found. The BIOS will show you that, uh, that, that didn't find any controller, any operating system. An embedded system doesn't have a display. If you are lucky, It has a serial console where it can, can output this kind of error message. But the serial console is a mandatory component or mandatory functionality when, when you ask me as a tester. But uh, with, uh, with the other side of my brain, I'm a security expert. And of course, uh, having a serial console is, is also always a security risk. So from from security point of view, at latest when the when the system is delivered to the customer, you don't want this serial console anymore. But if you start integrating, especially in the very early bring-up phases, you rely on this output. And in the, in the we've seen this in the first hardware, we had serial consoles that was were not 
cancelled uh, due to security constraints. No, they were cancelled uh, by a design to cost measure. Mm -hmm. They removed the UART or something like that. They removed not only the UART, but also the capacitors and resistors okay. that were necessary uh, in order to, to generate proper output signals. And uh, at, after we had the first production or customer-grade hardware, we noticed it's all removed. Uh, and, and attempts to, to remount or to post-mount those components resulted in f about 50% loss of hardware. So even, even uh, people who were experts in uh, soldering surface-mounted surface components, they bricked half of the boards. So we uh, stopped trying to, to, to uh, mount those components after we got the hardware. We just uh, lived without the serial console. And, and often enough, uh, uh, processes stopped working and nobody could see whether this is uh, a hardware problem or whether it's a kernel crash. And, uh, and, and in, the, in, the, in later systems where um, not every board has its own uh, flash storage for the software, where you have uh, peripheral boards that are booted from a central controller board, Uh, if you don't have such a serial console, the only thing you can say is after five minutes the board didn't show up on whatever interface you expect to, 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 be, uh, to be available after a certain amount of time. But you don't know, didn't the processors, or, or things I, saw, I actually saw in the latest hardware revision, the processor doesn't start up at all. The processor starts, uh, finds the boot core, but doesn't find the bootloader. Or the processor starts, the boot core finds the bootloader, the bootloader is started, but the bootloader is not able to establish communication with the central board. Or the bootloader, the, 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 the bootloader, or the, 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 central, the, the boot core starts, finds the bootloader, gets the Linux and the U image, starts up, but after a few seconds runs into a kernel crash, into a kernel panic, and stops working. If you don't have any possibility to see what the board is actually doing from the from the blackboard perspective or even from from looking inside the controller all these scenarios look the same you start you power up the system and even after five minutes certain boards don't show up the, the, that means that one of the first things you will do if you start integrating hardware and software is to look for the serial console yeah and if there is none you have a problem Okay. The problem is then, then you totally rely on uh, the quality of the boot core, bootloader, low-level operating system that is delivered to you. Okay. In, the, in, the, in, a, in a customer grade version, not before the, the system is actually shipped to the customer, you can expect that the startup is reliable. Yeah. But in the, in the early phases of the hardware bring-up, when you Uh, first installed an operating system on a, on a, on a, a brand new hardware, uh, mm. it's a real problem if you don't have a possibility to uh, see what the processor is actually doing. Because then you, you have no, no idea in the, in the entity integration phase. In the earlier phases, um, uh, even the guys uh, um, uh, implementing the low-level software like Bootloader, They usually have uh, debuggers, hardware debuggers. They have to check. But if, okay. if, if, if you, and and also for mm. for the 
for the uh, user plane developers that do the DSP code, of, they also, of course, use hardware debuggers. But when, the, when you bring the whole hardware together, you're not talking about one processor, you're talking about dozens of processors. First of all, you can't uh, afford to buy uh, one hardware debugger for each processor that is actually running into a complete system. Well, you're quite expensive. Uh, yeah. so. And well, you could, you, you yeah. might be able to do this on one system, but not on every, or not on, on not on all systems uh, used in entity integration. And the second thing is, in the in an embedded system that is uh, trying to Uh, have the smallest footprint possible, you have mechanical problems, or you will have mechanical problems to connect all these debugger, debug adapters to the, to the boards in place. For example, in the, in the, in the current hardware, uh, if, the, if the boards, if, each, if every slot is, is equipped, There's no space in between that you can access those JTAG debuggers. Okay. If you want to, to, to connect the JTAG debuggers for the DSP cores, you have to leave one slot free. And full capacity tests with all slots equipped, it's simply impossible to connect to those DSP JTAG connectors. Mm. JTAG connectors. Okay, I see. Yeah. Okay, that seems to be another good way to do it. Um, but what about, we are already tackling that. So, how are, what about, Uh, critical situations in testing and integrating embedded systems. Are there any kind of critical situations you observe or you have observed or you can imagine of and how you, do you tackle them? You mean criti critical, critical uh, error situations, critical error scenarios? Or? No, not, not the error itself. So there might be segment violations, kernel oopsies, whatsoever. That, that might be critical for the program. No, from a, from a tester's perspective, a critical situation where you say, now I cannot fulfill my job, for example. It's critical in that manner. So it's something like also on the, on the hardware side, you say, okay, no, that's not the way we can proceed because it's a critical situation we have now observed with the, with the system under test. Yeah, things where, where you uh, are actually blocked as an entity tester is uh, instability in hardware. If the processor, if in 50% of the startups the processor suddenly stops right in, in the middle of operation, you see no, no, no uh, kernel crash uh, being reported on the console, You simply have no connectivity, and even the serial console that was uh, that way, you were able to log in, where you got the Linux login prompt, and you were able to log in five seconds before, and all of a sudden, all IP addresses are not reachable anymore, and even the console is stuck, and you get nothing. You get not a single character on the console that shows you what happened. Yeah, then this is something where, where <laughs> if, it's, if it happens often enough, or with a, with a sufficient uh, uh, probability, then you're, you're actually blocked in, the, in, the, in, in your integration testing. And also, if, even if you have a, only a 5% probability, if you have a 5% probability that the central controller, controller doesn't start, in addition, you have a 5% probability that a communication link to a peripheral board is not established, you have a bunch of them, and then if you do the probability calculation, you mm -hmm. might end up in only 1% probability that, this is, that you have, uh, a, 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 that, you, that your startup reaches the, the point where your actual test would start. Mm -hmm. 
I see. Is there is there a way to uh, to handle this kind of hardware problems with processors? So, if what what do you do if you observe that in five percent of the cases the processor is not coming up? Personally, you might not be able to do anything, but uh, to uh, to repair that. But how do you track it down that you can provide some kind of uh, valued information towards the the manufacturer? Yeah, in the in the case, in, 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 on, on my abstraction level, where I test the whole entity without mm -hmm. any hardware, uh, hardware debugging capabilities, I can do nothing. Okay. I, can, I can only report it mm -hmm. or reject the hardware for further testing and then wait for, for, for any correction to come. But it's uh, usually a, a long discussion before the hardware guys actually agree that it's a hardware problem. Well, we, 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 we had this, uh, such a situation uh, a, f a few weeks ago where power cycle on one system affected another system and uh, it didn't happen. It obviously didn't happen in all installations, so it took a week or two before the hardware guys actually agreed could reproduce a problem in one of their setups and then they okay. started to agree that it might be a hardware problem. I think it's it's a common agreement that or a common understanding that reproduction of a test failure is essential to handle it. So we often have situations where it is not reproducible, not in any kind of uh, probability or in a, in a case of uh, acceptable probability rate, and then it's more or less not handled at all. So and therefore, if there is quite a seldom hardware error. As far as I understood, there is no way to handle it by yourself. And on the other side, you can also not convince the hardware, hardware manufacturers or the hardware providers that there is an error at all, because you have no chance to provide evidence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're actually, uh, if you are co-located, you are lucky, and then okay, the hardware yeah. guys can visit you or visit your, your test installation, mm -hmm. and you can show them what happens. But if you are uh, spread over multiple sites... It might be really a tough job mm. showing uh, or convincing the hardware guys that you really have a hardware problem. In the in the very few first years after half or one year when I when I started working at my first company, we were using a we were building a board um, with a, a Motorola processor but with Intel peripheral components. Oh. The, whole co the whole company was used to uh, use uh, Intel processors together with the Intel peripherals. And this was the time where the 286 was not fast enough anymore, but the 386 was not available yet. Mm -hmm. And so there was one series of hardware where um, uh, Motorola 6820 okay. was used. Yeah. And uh, the Motorola had a... Uh, asynchronous bus, while the Intel had a synchronous bus. So, in to to make it work, the timing was at the edge, and this board used an Intel memory controller, and um, the DRAMs were not refreshed correctly. And in the board, we saw that one signal, uh, the CAS signal, came too late, one clock too late. And uh, we reported this to Intel, and the answer from Intel was, we cannot believe this because this memory controller is used in so many hardware designs, we would have noticed this. 
but uh, the, the uh, problem only occurred because due to the mixture of the Motorola processor with the Intel peripherals, mm -hmm. our timing was at the edge. And what I actually had to do to convince the Intel sales representative that his memory controller was faulty. The memory controller he built, they built and sold for 20 years was faulty. I, I uh, put the memory controller on a breadboard, connected it with a, with, a, uh, um, with a clock generator and with a digital analyzer and uh, uh, called him to the, to the lab and showed him. See, here, the, here, this is the spec where you see where the signal should come and this is the, the logic analyzer, this is where the signal actually comes. And then he, he agreed that it's, it seems to be really an error in the hardware. But of course, they didn't uh, redesign the memory controller, so we actually ended up putting the functionality of the memory controller into the glue logic ASIC mm. that was on this board. So we, we had the capacity in the, in the FPGA or in the, in the full custom, it was a full custom ASIC, in the full custom chip, so we, we found a way around it. But this, you, you really have to isolate the bug and in this case to a clock and the pin and when the pin switches in order to convince the, if, you, if you're talking about hardware vendor in order to convince the hardware vendor that it's a hardware problem mm -hmm. and in the, on, the, on, on, the, uh, on the other side of the spectrum when you talk about uh, misbehavior of a complete system my wish would be that every component or every division that develops a component has the ability to see how their product behaves in the final system. Because when I, when I see, oh, example, serial console or internal locks, when I see how many error locks show up in a successful startup, last, last week or two weeks ago, we had uh, in a normal startup until... Uh, uh, so-called layer 3 calls so actually the, 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 the mobile end user would be able to place a call in this time of the startup we had uh, about 5,000 errors and 10,000 warnings <laughs> and uh, if the developer would have a chance to see how many warnings and errors his code actually produced in the final system maybe he would go back to the drawing board and check uh, and try to, to avoid these errors. But I'm, I'm, I'm totally sure that in the test environment, on the, on the abstraction level, a specific developer tests his code, those errors don't occur because the timing's different, the, 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 uh, the interfaces he, he replaced by stops, the stops are... are, are more forgiving about uh, calling functions in the wrong sequence and these kind of things. So this is already already one uh, one problem which could be observed in the collaboration of software developer and software testers and software integrators. Are there other problems or major problems in collaboration from your perspective? Yeah, the, the typical, well, I, start, I myself started as a software developer, yeah. so I, I, I know the other side of the wall. Um, the typical reaction of a software developer being faced with a pro potentially uh, erroneous behavior of his software is 
it worked in my test. <laughs> yeah. So, so from I know that from from software developers' perspective, uh, I said I also I also said this uh, not to 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 uh, push away the responsibility of the problem, but to to notify uh, this was not a a blind spot in my test. I tested this scenario in my environment and in my environment. I didn't see this this problem. Otherwise, I would have fixed it. But if you look at this from the other side of the wall, as the tester, if you approach a developer with an with with logs from a, from an error case, and the answer is it worked in my in in my internal tests, um, yeah. Sometimes it's not it's not only uh, the, the the confirmation that the test covered the scenario but didn't show the error case. Sometimes it's really. Uh, the attempt of the developer to push the responsibility away. And we, we, we had the situation that uh, the application software developer uh, said it worked in my... Uh, something, some parameter had to be changed, dimensioning of pre-allocated uh, 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 buffers. Just uh, if you do a, a real-time... Real or if your system has to fulfill real-time requirements, you you uh, cannot rely on on malloc yeah. where the runtime is non-deterministic. You usually uh, work with pre-allocated memory areas, and so you have uh, pre-allocated memory memory areas of different sizes, and they are pooled together. And for each uh, for each memory size, you allocate a certain amount of buffers, and this amount needed to be increased. So we had a crash on the system. And a statistical crash. Sometimes it, it crashed during startup, and uh, every tenth startup it did not crash. And uh, actually, we found out the, the reason was that the system was running out of buffers, and uh, the buffer management return, returned a null pointer, and the user tried to use this. So there was also <laughs> okay. a missing uh, uh, um, a missing error handling, but actually the system crashed. And uh, someone came up with the with the uh, proposal. Yeah, this looks like uh, you're running out of buffers. Try to increase the buffers. I uh, I patched the system and increased uh, this this, uh, this is the size of a, of a certain uh, or the amount of buffers of a certain size. The crash was gone. And now the question was, um, how is this increased number of buffers included into the official system? Mm. I approached the application that is responsible for the application that actually controls the number that is used in the system and the answer from them was it worked in our in our component test we see no reason to increase the number and by the way our the numbers we use are the number are coming from the template that is provided by the middleware and there was no change in the number of buffers of this size in the middleware in the last half year. So next thing I approached the, the providers of the middleware and said here, by the way, the, the, from this uh, group, uh, the, the idea of let's try to increase the amount of buffers, maybe it, it solves the problem. They, they were coming up with this idea. But when I approached them and said, well, we found out we have to increase this uh, the amount of these kind of buffers. Uh, are you going to do this? The answer was also no. Our our test works fine. We see no. We we don't see any need to increase this this uh, 
amount of these buffers. So at the end, I thought, well, do we have no responsibility, no, no one whose responsibility for the dimensioning of, the, of this board, or of this processor, this runtime environment in the system? This sounds like a real long story of ignorance. So I, I mean, is everybody you confront with the error is denying and say, okay, not my problem. So definitely you end up and have more or less nobody available. Uh, is that a regular story? So you are confronted with, with ignorance on the software developer side, or is that more an exceptional case? Uh, this was the first time I, I, okay. I faced it in, in, in this, this uh, hard mm. version. So you, <laughs> usually, usually you find someone who, who, who adapts the... the who takes the responsibility, adapts the code, and, 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 and that's it. But so, the, the level of discussion is, is, it differs from, from, from uh, uh, problem to problem, especially if, if um, during test you find you run into a problem and during the analysis you find out that it's actually an architectural problem. Mm -hmm. Then some developing developer groups uh, are more willing to implement a quick hack or a fix that uh, violates the architecture or that that it doesn't have to violate the architecture it uses a free space that what uh, that was not strictly defined in the architecture and other groups say it was not required from architecture point of view if you want to have this functionality added, where you found out due to the, 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 uh, the analysis of a problem that you need a new parameter, an interface, a new message, if you want to, this, uh, you want to have implemented, uh, have this implemented, go to the architecture guys and uh, request it top down. So mm -hmm. architecture has to adapt it, uh, high level specifications have to be adapted, and at the end, uh, it ends up in a, in a new requirement or a changed requirement and then the developer will start to implement this requirement. I've, I found all, all variants of willingness to solve a problem uh, in the, as we uh, call it in German, via the Obergefreiten Dienstweg, <laughs> just by knowing each other and uh, agreeing. So, yeah. but the problem is, of course, I, I also understand the formal approach, because if you uh, if you implement a new functionality, because you found that uh, information that that uh, component B was missing an information from from component A, and you say okay let's let's extend uh, the the parameters or the info elements of a certain message, and even if you if you code it right and you 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 uh, add this additional in, uh, info element in all the header files and all the as and one definitions and whatever you have. And you simply you only miss out to add it to the requirements. Then, if later on a change in this interface is planned for a totally different feature, whoever tries to modify the requirements doesn't have any idea that the actual implementation differs from the from the original requirements. So I I also can understand the the, the, the formal approach that uh, people say yeah. I implement what is required, and if it's not required, I won't implement it. Yeah, so additionally to, uh, towards ignorance, I found now an attitude of stubbornness and some kind of attitude of unwillingness. However, I imagine or now I experienced you as a very valuable software integrator and tester in my own work as a software developer. And uh, 
I, there are differences between software testers and software testers and software integrators and software integrators. It's simply the kind of quality we provide towards the software developers in their analysis, in their kind of approach. It's a difference whether it's simply some statement like, there is an, there is an error, I don't know anything, or there is something like, there is an error, I have analyzed it to that down, and I, I finally ended up at your desk because I think it's blah, blah, blah. Uh, so it, that's the main difference, I think. Uh, we have now, we have now uh, uh, told, told a lot about uh, the problems with the software developers, but to, uh, to make some final conclusion, I wanted you to give us free, free skills, free, kind, free main attitudes, um, a good and let's also say successful software tester should have or software integrator should have that you are recognized by the outside, so mainly by the software developers, to be a good software tester and software integrator. What are the main three skills? Well, what actually helps if you have a development background. So just to be able to to to, to uh, Imagine what could have gone wrong, wrong if you see from the exterior uh, a, a, a certain misbehavior. Mm -hmm. um, for example, the raising the mandatory requirement, as we talked at the very beginning, raising the mandatory requirement about a serial console, mm -hmm. even in the later phases, to see whether you have a kernel crash. Um, I insist on having a serial console due to the uh, special uh, form of integration I'm doing. I'm doing what we call platform integration. So uh, I'm uh, my test line is the first one that faces that does the where the complete software meets the complete hardware when a new kernel version is introduced, when a new compiler is used. And these are the, the, the critical situations where the system might fail badly. And at this point, I need those uh, serial consoles in order to recover the system, like forcing it to boot from the, uh, from the other file system and these kind of things. Uh, we have other groups, like, like our continuous integration guys. When they were asked whether they need those... Uh, uh, we have... in, the, in the, Uh, a few months ago, we developed a, a, a box that allowed us to uh, access up to four serial consoles running on, on different voltage levels because ah, the problem okay. is uh, serial, the serial consoles in an embedded system, uh, even if the bean counters allow you to put in the components, mm. uh, they want these components to be restricted to a minimum. So you have a UART, you might have a UART, but you will never have the voltage converters on the board. So you have boards that run with 1.8 volts, you have boards where the serial console runs with 1.5 volts, you have boards where it runs with 3.3 volts, and you might have boards where it runs with 5 volts. And in order to, to uh, have a flexible solution to connect to, to all those serial consoles, um, a colleague came up with the idea, let's, let's develop or let's uh, have a box developed that uh, we can connect uh, uh, via Ethernet, via IP, mm -hmm. and as a terminal server, that usually with the, what, you, what you know as a terminal server is normally uh, 
prepared to run on a standard RS-232 with uh, something between 5 and 12 volts. But uh, you, you would need additional hardware to, to connect to a serial port that runs with, with lower voltages. And these boxes uh, are configurable and you can run them with, with whatever voltage you need. And when, the, when they were ready or when, the, when the, uh, they were ready to produce the, the second or third charge of it, um, there was an inquiry uh, of the different groups and they were asked whether they need this console. Um, the answer from the hardware guys was, it was defined that we use uh, a, test, a specific test adapter that costs, uh, I think, between 13 and 1500 euros each and can connect to only one of these ports. And <laughs> in our current hardware, in order to connect it to a specific board, you have to cut a hole in the shelf. And depending on where the shelf is mounted, you even have to cut a hole in the rack <laughs> to connect it. So uh, the hardware guys uh, did, did not, because they don't have their systems in shelves and racks. They have their boards lying around on the table. So they have no problem connecting these test adapters to connectors at strange places of the board. But if you are, have a full system mounted in a rack, mounted in a shelf, you need something you can connect from the front. And so, uh, uh, in order, uh, this could be done by these adapters. And uh, the guys from Continuous Integration, uh, they didn't see the need for, for, for these serial consoles at all. Mm. We've never used them before, we don't need them now, or no, we don't need, we don't need them. So, actually, the whole pro project was stopped because there was not enough need for them. And now, when they are facing the situation, as I described before, a peripheral board is not starting up. What's the reason? Was the power not enabled? Was the reset not released? Is the processor, has the processor a hiccup in the very, very early phases so that it doesn't even start the, the, the boot core loader? Yeah. Or does the boot core loader not, not find yeah. the bootloader? Does the bootloader not find the image? And so on and so on. So, all these, these uh, they cannot identify the different scenarios, the different problems, simply because they don't have the necessary hardware. And uh, the, the, the situation I also mentioned before, if you do a power cycle on one board, another board does a reset. Uh, we saw this immediately because we saw this other board executing the bootloader. And the bootloader says the reset reason was a power cycle. And there we, we, then we thought, we, we knew that this board was forced into a power cycle. Uh, mm. On the other teams, wherever they are, uh, that resisted or that didn't, didn't want uh, serial consoles or didn't see mm. the need for serial consoles, they had totally different descriptions for the same problem. We lose connection to this board after a few minutes. <laughs> and the, and the, the, the even most abstract uh, description of the same problem was that the operational state of an uh, object in the internal ODM in info model went to disabled. <laughs> and and uh, when we started to, to uh, check uh, whether this problem, power cycle interference, is... Uh, 
isolated to our in hardware instances here, or whether it's a general problem, then of course we, are, we, we ask the whole company using this new hardware, everybody using this new hardware, did you see this problem? At first of all, we, uh, the answer was no. And then you looked at their, at their status report and you found those things like, we're losing contact to this board after a while. And then you asked them, is it possible that on the other side there was a power cycle executed? And they, well, let, let us check. And finally, we found out all these different descriptions of the problem had the same root cause, mm -hmm. power cycle interference. And they, didn't, they couldn't see it. They couldn't notice the actual root cause of the problem because they resisted to have any additional hardware for, for debugging purposes. Yeah, okay. But I don't want to let you off the hook here. So it's uh, so you, you, the, the free skills. You got only one of the <laughs> yeah. free skills. Yeah. Um, uh, the next thing where I, when I look at the difference behave, different behaviors uh, mm -hmm. between my colleagues is... Um, the willingness to look inside the system, to learn something about the system that is not your direct scope or not in the scope of your test cases. If you don't know anything about the... For example, if you do message tracing, messages are sent from component A to component B to component C. And if you want to trace those messages, you have to know the components. But if you are not interested, I, I don't want to, to, to use the word resist, but uh, resist to know, but if you're not simply not interested in the internal architecture, mm. then you have a problem uh, to explicitly trace a specific message on its way through the system if you have to specify the communication nodes. Mm. If you can trace everything on every node, then you will catch all messages. But especially when it comes to message tracing, in a frequency where the messages are exchanged in the telecommunication system, you usually don't have the capability to trace all messages. Mm -hmm. Because especially if, it, if, it, if we come to, to load and stress tests, the system is designed to handle a certain load. If you would like to trace the internal communication under this load, you would... Even if you trace each mes message only once, you would need double the capacity, double the communication capacity. If the system passes through, let's say, five different uh, uh, nodes and you want to trace the message on each node, each message on each node, you would, you have to, you would have to overdimension the system by a factor of six just to get those five additional Mm -hmm. uh, message streams out. Uh, so it's, it's, it's in the nature of an embedded system that is, of course, designed for exactly the capacity and the performance that, is, uh, that it, it's designed for, and it, it doesn't have any additional uh, uh, resources, CPU power, memory, disk space, or flash space, whatever. You, you typically are, uh, are not able to trace everything on every node at every time. So you have to, to be specific and say, 
My problem is that this message is uh, not, go, not ending up at, at node C, so let's trace it at node A and node B and node C. And then I can see how far it gets. Mm -hmm. But if you don't know anything about the, different, of, about the inter, internal architecture, and you only know, well, the functional entity that sends the message is, uh, is called X, and the functional entity that rece finally receives the message is, is called Z, and you don't know that, it's, that the sender is located on hardware A and the uh, receiver is located on hardware C, then you're not able to provide, uh, to, to, even to, to, to get the necessary locks out of the system. Yeah, and, and then provide uh, mandatory and useful and worthwhile information towards the software developer to fix the problem, if there is one problem. Okay, that would be the second one. So what, what is the third and last skill I wanted to know? So something helpful. <laughs> Let me return the question. Okay. What did you found valuable in my input, in okay. the input I gave you at the time when, when you were a software developer that I didn't mention yet? Maybe it's a, it's a mixture. It was, first, it was, as you already mentioned, that you, that you were working as a software developer. That was simply... Ex I simply could experience that out of your, or detect that out of your statements. So it was something like you have the attitude and you have uh, your, your own possibility to view and to have a look into the system and to say, yeah, that, that might be of interest for the software developer. So that's one point. The other point is that you already have a knowledge. You have a knowledge of the system. So you have had most, in, very, in, in most of the cases, you have had much more deeper overall knowledge of the systems when I have had. And that was very worthwhile because I have had only a very small picture. And therefore, it was quite helpful to see the big picture. But as a, as a third, it was also, it, it's away from the technical part. It's something like what you were willing to move. What, what I mean is, what I experienced, you were one of the very seldom cases of a software, develop, a software tester and software integrator who was appearing in the software development floors. So very regularly, all the other software testers and integrators were not appearing there. So we were standing at front of the desk of the software developer and say, hey, guy, I have something for you. I have detected that and that. So that was the most important, not the most important part, but it was a very important part for me, that you were looking for the direct contact, for the direct communication. Yeah, but uh, on the other hand, you have to uh, keep in mind that we were located at the same floor. So yeah. there was not even a staircase separating us. It was simply four doors and uh, 60 meters difference. Okay, but this could, be an, this could be a quite big gap, as I experienced also in other uh, parts, that uh, very often simply in the same room there could be walls, yeah? So, which are not, you cannot climb over. What I mean is the willing to inform personally, to get in touch with the right person and to say and to come into communication because an email is quickly sent, but afterwards, it's as you mentioned, there might be some resistance, there might be some unwillingness, some stubbornness whatsoever, and we are not willing. And then it might be quite, I don't want to say harsh, but something like, uh, sometimes it ends up in a very unfriendly communication. And you can, you can immediately reduce that if you face the people directly or you pick up the phone and give them a call or you pick up the chat and do it via chat, whatever. But you have a one-to-one -one connection and when it's a 
different layer. For me, it's a different level to do it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a few days ago, I heard in another podcast the rule: uh, if if a male ping pong starts, three ping pongs, and then organize a meeting. Yeah, definitely. And yeah. if the meeting doesn't work, try to try to uh, uh, achieve uh, a face to face meeting. Right. Yeah. And I I'm, I want to add something more. It's uh, how I try at moment or meanwhile I try to compose my mails in that way but I say what I cannot express in five sentences I will phone the one so five sentences sometimes okay if, if I want to I don't want to if I have to lock quotes inside or something like that there are more than five lines but I want to point out the essential part of my mail in five lines That's, that could be a really challenge and sometimes I simply simply resist and say no it's not possible I will it will last that long time to compose five sentences only, it's quicker to, to handle it by phone. And it was regularly much more deeper accepted by the guys. Yeah. Especially if the, uh, as the mail receiver, if you receive a, a mail with more than five lines, you might not even read it at all. Yeah, that's the other point. Yeah, absolutely yeah. right. Yeah, but you're right. I'm, I, I, I have a colleague uh, working in the, in the same area as me, also doing platform integration. And uh, when we discussed about what to do when this and this, this and that happened, Uh, I told him, well, then you have to go this way, 60 meters, mm -hmm. and don't leave the desk before you get an answer. And mm -hmm. his answer was, no, this is not my way of working. So, so from, from, from his uh, character, uh, mm -hmm. he, he, he's not uh, the, the, the guy doing that. And uh, you, cannot, uh, you cannot even force him to do this. And, I see. And uh, if we work together, I, I, have, I, some, I sometimes have the feeling that I uh, begin to be his foreign minister. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, for me, it's definitely, it, it's definitely a skill of software testers and integrators and all the software testers and integrators out in the, in the audience. Please, guys, do it like that, like Jürgen just mentioned. Pick up the phone, go to the guys, don't leave the desk if it's possible to, to meet the desk. Uh, that you get the answer and that's a quite it's it's a big big favor for the software developers perhaps we might not like it initially so <laughs> that might be one drawback but um, in fact at the very end you um, you progress much more faster definitely if you have the direct contact yeah what, what, what makes it also easy or made it easy to me uh, to approach a, a, a platform or a, a, a kernel developer mm -hmm directly um, is that we are kind of soulmates okay so yeah. I'm I'm in my heart uh, uh, closer to Linux developers or to people develop Linux and not with Linux or under mm -hmm. Linux than than I am to the control plane developers okay. so if I if I imagine I would have the same problem uh, and uh, Uh, the next uh, uh, step would be to go in the other building one floor up and to visit a colleague from, from the seaplane. Even, even if I, uh, uh, seven years ago, uh, were in the same department as, as they are now, uh, I know them. Uh, I, my first reaction would not be to go visit them and, and ask them directly. Okay, there might be, of course, some kind of personal... Uh, attention or some personal attitude how you how you will do it but for me it's simply the fact to or the, simply the skill to initially be able to do it and to 
the, to have the will to do it. And this is something, and, and then of course you might have differences, the distances or whatsoever, but if you do not even have the will to do it, so if you do not ha see it as, as, a, as a chance to improve, both personally and technically here, then it will not happen. Uh, then it's, you, you lose the chance. Yeah, you're, you're missing out a lot. Mm. But, uh, as, I, as I mentioned before, the, uh, what, what uh, uh, eased me the way to the uh, platform developers were, was that were, they are located at the same floor. Of course, yeah. If they were, or the other half, the, the uh, DSP part, the DSP platform is located in a different country, mm. Even if I would want to visit them, I don't have the chance to do this. Yeah, but then you have also the highly technically possible uh, way to pick up the phone. So it's simple like that. So you could you could phone, you could chat, whatsoever. You might have noticed that we don't have phones anymore. Yeah, <laughs> no, no desk phones. <laughs> okay, Jürgen. So um, I think I want to... Conclude that this was a quite amazing interview. Thank you very much. So it was really a pleasure to have you. It was also a pleasure to me. Yeah, thank you very much. You're welcome. So far, the interview with Jürgen Salm. Jürgen, thank you again for the interview. And to our audience, I wanted to encourage you to raise your questions to our feedback to Jürgen. Please write and comment on the show notes at embeddedsuccess.com slash episode 25. The show notes also contain links to Jürgen's website. Feel free to contact and connect with Jürgen to meet an awesome person. By the way, if you have some topics in mind which you think should be mentioned in the show, do not hesitate and drop me a message. Or, if you have a question or a proposal, I would be delighted to receive your feedback at embeddedsuccess.com feedback. That was the Mastering Embedded Systems podcast. I will be back next time with another great episode. And for you, it is time to take the details, hints and tips into your daily work to achieve your passion and find your success. I wish you a very relaxing and enjoyable Christmas time. Find the time to stay in touch with your beloved ones and yourself. Get the best out of this contemplative time. I would be very happy to welcome you again in 2016. I'm Georg Lohrer from Embedded Success. Thank you for listening.